0: Good morning, Grace Point. So good to see you today. So glad you're here, especially if you're joining us for the very first time. Wherever you are in the world, we're so glad that you found us, and I hope that this gathering today has been meaningful and helpful and that you've had a great first experience with Grace Point. Um, We're going to continue our series, Let Us Be, today. Before we jump into that, I wanted to take just a moment to acknowledge what's happening right now in our country. Um, We're we're on the brink of a a contentious election. There's been a lot of division in our country. I know a lot of us are feeling worried and concerned and there's anxiety and there's tension uh, as we move into this election, not only about the election itself, but what's what gonna happen in the fallout of the election. And also we're, we're here once again in the United States of America and another, um, another black man has been killed in the streets this time in Philadelphia. And uh, I think we need to take a moment to acknowledge Walter Wallace, and um, we have have to take a moment to acknowledge that it seems like in this country, if you're essentially a white terrorist, you can walk around with an AK-47 and be apprehended peacefully, but you can't be a black man having a mental health crisis. Um, The police officer shot him 14 times, Um, and this is still playing out uh, as of the the time I recorded this sermon, so I um, don't know what the next information is going to be, but I do know that this continues to It just keeps happening and we're all aware of it. And it just keeps happening, which reminds me that whatever happens on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, like whenever we find out the results of the election, whatever happens, this is not going to go away. The problems that we're grappling with, or maybe that we're failing in some ways, our leaders are failing to grapple with these problems are still going to be there. We're still going to be in the middle of a pandemic we're still gonna have a problem with systemic injustice, systemic racism and police brutality in this country. Um, so we, we just have a lot of work to do. So I hope that each of us are finding whatever way we can to practice self-care, to be kind to ourselves, to get the, all the rest we can get because no matter what happens um, on Tuesday um, or whatever we find out, no matter what happens, there's still a lot of work ahead of us. The work of love, the work of justice, the work of ensuring that the rights of um, uh, the LGBTQ plus community aren't uh, stripped in this country. There's just so much work ahead of us. So try to try to take deep breaths often. Um, try try to take care of yourself. Remember that wonderful advice from airlines, which is put your own mask on first, um, so that you can assist others. So that, that's that's just what I've been carrying around for the last couple of days. And I hope that maybe that's helpful. Um, So today we're going to continue our series, Let Us Be. And this series is all about uh, embodying the values we share as a community. And today I want to talk about curiosity, which probably for many of us, um, and probably in most churches we've experienced, curiosity isn't considered a value. It's considered a a problem, right? Um, How many of us have ever been told that our questions and doubts were a threat to our faith? That if we followed, to to use a a phrase from T.S. Eliot, if we followed the hints and guesses we were carrying around, if if we listened and attended to that nagging sense of, is that actually how it is? Is there more to faith than simply memorizing and repeating and defending doctrines? Is it really possible that if we lean into our questions and we lean into our curiosities that that's going to doom and damn our faith? And Is that how it works? I think the unfortunate result of the demonization of curiosity that's happened um, in, in a lot of religious circles, a lot of Christian circles, is that it limits our growth because every at the heart of every major human discovery or advancement is an engagement of curiosity. It's somebody has been curious and they've embraced that curiosity and they it's led them into all sorts of inventions. And even before that, like Copernicus and Galileo, who had this curiosity about how the universe worked, and they offered some counter, uh, counter uh, truth that, Hey, actually the sun is not at the, the sun is at the center. almost messed that up. The sun is at the center, not the earth. And they essentially created a a buzz. They got in trouble with the church. Like there's all of this fallout because they questioned long held assumptions about how the universe is structured. Think about Charles Darwin, another scientist who offered a a different explanation about how we got here and, and how the world works And then think about people like Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Edison, these people who created things that now, I mean, do you really, can you imagine, did they really believe that we would end up with a phone in our pocket that connected us to the whole world? Probably not, but they followed curiosity. For so many of us, the the journey we've been on that we've called maybe deconstruction or that I prefer to call like an unraveling or a, a composting of my previous faith. Um, One of the reasons we did that is because we were spurred on by curiosity. And the more we learned, the more questions we asked, the more ways we engaged it, the the more interesting it was, and the more life-giving it was, and the more, I mean, I I would not hesitate to use the word exhilarating (laughs) to talk about that journey of of sort of leaving behind um, certain perspectives, doctrines and dogmas to begin to embrace what, We've been led to embrace, which is a different lens for God, a different lens for what it means to be human, a different lens for what the Bible. All of those things were spurred for me and, and a for many of you out of just a curiosity uh, that we were having experiences in the world, and and sort of the the teaching that we were given about how the world works. And those experiences, they just didn't fit. And it's unfortunate that in so many ways the. Our our resistance to curiosity has put the church as a whole on the wrong side of science, on the wrong side of biology, on the wrong side of uh, history in so many cases. And I have come to believe that transformation begins with curiosity, which means developing a sense of and a trust in curiosity. And, And that takes courage to begin to trust your questions, to begin to trust that by having the questions, you're not somehow coming out of left field, or that by having questions, you're not somehow um, demeaning faith. You're, You're actually leaning into it, right? That your questions aren't a threat to God and your questions aren't a threat to you. Your curiosity may threaten the establishment. Your curiosity may threaten those in power. Your curiosity may threaten those who have a vested interest in keeping people believing what they believe. But your curiosity is not a threat to God. And it's not a threat to you. It is actually the thing that will lead you into the path of transformation and guide you along the way. Because this fear that we have of curiosity, fear limits our our growth. It limits human beings because it tells us that anything we don't know or understand, or one of my favorites is like when somebody's like, well, I've never heard that before. As if, if they hadn't heard it, then it can't be possible. Like that they've heard everything that could be possibly heard, right? And and we just sort of begin to believe that anything that is different or anything that comes from a different perspective or anything we don't understand really is inherently bad or dangerous. I mean, that's literally what the core of xenophobia is. Xenophobia is this fear of someone from another country or fear of someone who's unknown to us. And so instead of being curious about them and learning about them and asking questions and engaging them, we end up hating them and vilifying them and pronouncing them as a danger to our community. The good news is that curiosity is at the core of faith. It's at the core of the Christian faith. I mean, take the story of Father Abraham, who had many sons, and many sons and daughters had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord, right? Like Father Abraham, in our faith tradition, he engaged his curiosity. When he was called, he sensed he he was being drawn to leave the familiar and to travel to a land, and in the text in Genesis 12, it actually— The the God character in the text says to Abraham, "Go to the land I will show you." No Google Maps, no ways. (laughs) Just a human being following his restless curiosity, and in doing so, changing the world. I mean, when you the three three the largest religions in the world all trace their beginnings back to the same character, Abraham. Right, the Jewish tradition, the Christian tradition, and the Muslim tradition all trace their origins back to this person and his restless curiosity that led him to leave home for another place. Then there's there's Moses, who was tending his father-in-law's, um, in one text, his father-in-law's name is Jethro, and I just love that. Um, um, and he he had a cement pond, and I realize that that's a reference a lot of people may not get, but it's the, the show. Um, I digress. Moses is tending his father-in-law's flocks, and as he's doing it, maybe, it, I would imagine he's been in this spot, tending these same tending the same flock many, many times, but he notices that over there, there is a bush that is on fire, but it is not consumed. And, and Moses is faced with sort of a, what do you do? And Mo, Moses listens to his curiosity and he goes over. And when he gets there, he removes his sandals because he realizes that the ground has always been holy. How many times had Moses passed that spot? How long had the bush been burning? before Moses sees it and his curiosity gets the best of him and he goes over and history is transformed. That moment of curiosity engaged leads to a movement of liberation in the Exodus and it leads to a new understanding of God, that God actually isn't located at the top of the power pyramid with all the wealthy and all the powerful, that where you find God is among the oppressed and you find God willing the liberation of the oppressed and calling us into the work of doing that. And then there's Jesus. I find it so interesting that Jesus actually asked far more questions than he answered. Uh, it's said that Jesus is Jesus asks 307 ish questions in the Bible. He is asked 183 questions and he only answers three. Now I didn't go through and count all those, but a quick skimming of the Gospels will sort of reveal that this is this is a valid um, a valid piece of information in the sense that Jesus asks more questions than he ever ever answers. And he often responds because I think Jesus was a curious human being. He often responds to a question with a question, right? And his questions were intended to engage his listeners and to pique their curiosity. But, so they have a question. And Jesus is like, I'm interested. I'm curious. Why do, you, why do you ask it that way? He asks them a question and he's inviting them. And some of the ways he does this, Jesus asks really practical questions like, uh, what do you think? Right? Somebody asks him a question about doctrine or dogma, and he's like, I don't know, what, what do you think about it? And he asks questions, really profoundly simple and beautiful questions, like, what do you want? What are you, what are you looking for? People often say that Jesus is the answer. But based on the practice of Jesus, it is probably more accurate to say Jesus is the question. right? Because Jesus' curiosity caused him to engage other human beings in such a way that also piqued their curiosity. So knowing that curiosity is embedded in our tradition, even if it makes people uncomfortable, even if we haven't always acknowledged it, and even if there are some streams in our tradition that want to you know, snuff that, the embers of curiosity out, it's, it's embedded in our traditions. And here at Grace Point, um, it is one of our core values. It's one of the things that shape us as a community. So I want to think we're in this series, we're thinking about being, not believing, right? Embodying. What does it mean to embody curiosity? And I think right off the bat, it begins with embracing love over fear. The general assumption is that hate is the opposite of love, but actually hate isn't created in a vacuum. Hate is often the product of fear. And so fear and all the things it brings with it, it's actually the opposite of love. The writer First John sent this. Listen to 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who's afraid has not been made perfect in love. Now, perfect isn't a good translation of this because we have sort of a platonic uh, Greek philosophical idea about perfection. Um, What the word actually means is this word in Greek, teleos, and it means to bring to an end or to finish. So actually the word means it's more about completeness and wholeness. So if we read that again, we say there is no fear in love because whole love, complete love drives out fear. The person who is afraid has not been made whole and complete in love, which is and so for so many of us, the exact opposite of how we were initiating into the Christian tradition. I mean, for, for me, the, the night I went down front at a church and got saved was the night when a preacher actually said the phrase, somebody in this room very well well, might die tonight. It's 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 very, very likely that somebody in this room will die tonight. I was I was in the room, there weren't that many people. It didn't seem like my odds or anything I wanted to take a gamble on, right? But so, so my coming in to like officially coming into the Christian faith for me was the product of fear. And for so many people, that's what brings us in is we, we have hell hung over us. We have punishment hanging over us. And the reality is what this writer says is, Actually, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment and that's not how God works. Fear has to do with with bad bad things. That's That's not what God's intention toward humanity is. For love to be completed in us, to be whole, complete in us, it means that fear is no longer calling the shots. What would happen if we saw the Christian path as inviting us into that journey of being transformed by love, of love making us whole and complete, so that fear isn't calling the shots. Love tells us we are safe. Love tells us we are beloved. Love tells us that our lives have inherent worth, that our connection to God is an inherent connection and union, that God isn't somewhere else angry, keeping a list of what we've done wrong, because love doesn't keep a record of And so what would it mean for us to, if if we really believe we're safe, that God's not out to get us, why wouldn't we lean into our curiosities? Because look, if I ask a question that completely crumbles everything I believe, but I I get close to the truth, why would I not want to leave behind something that's less truthful or less helpful for something else? What if we had no fear and we leaned into love and trusted that love will take care of us? Second, I I want to talk about, embracing trust over certainty often say there are two things that we were many of us were handed when we were being initiated in the faith we were handed certainty and we were handed fear the problem with that is one we can't we can't have we can't have certainty it doesn't exist it, it just doesn't exist and the other fear we don't need because fear is a limiter fear actually keeps us from growing and transforming and feeling safe and trusting in love And so we were handed these two things. And what I think curiosity does is it invites us to push the boundaries of a certain. we begin to say, I guess, I don't know that that's about certain. If we don't have certainty, we can begin to push the boundaries of what people have said was certain. I mean, there are things people have believed and taught for generation upon generation that just end up not being true. The earth is not at the center of the solar system. The earth is not flat. Right? There are all of these things that humans believed and eventually got better information and changed their belief. And curiosity is how you get the better information. It's asking questions, it's knowing that if certainty is not the like, if we can't have certainties. And my goodness, we can ask all the questions. I think embracing and embodying curiosity is about also embracing a journey over the destination. I think the journey is the point. And I think that's why the National Lampoon's vacation movies are so fantastic. And I'm so we're we're in November now. I'm inching closer to watching Christmas vacation all time. One of my all time favorite movies. But but what if, what if the Griswolds had chosen to fly to Wally world, right? If you haven't seen the movie, um, won't be such a spoiler, but they, they don't fly to Wally world. They get in the family station wagon and they drive across the country and, all of the mishaps and all of the lessons, like everything that makes that trip um, great television and everything that makes it sort of for for the characters in the story, uh, a a journey of learning. And the, the thing that makes that happen is that it is the journey, right? The point isn't going to, they went to Wally World. The point is getting to Wally World. And I think for so many of us being initiated in a faith that said the point is getting out of this life and into heaven. The point is leaving this behind and going somewhere else like the problem with that is we it it, it actually it it limits us because it doesn't the, like the journey doesn't happen it's you, you've got this we're going to download this correct doctrine into you try not to screw it up before you die or before jesus takes you on you know vacuums you up into the sky or whatever but curiosity is where our lives are transformed the journey is where lives are changed journey the journey is where relationships are formed and it's where memories are made. And the journey is where we learn about ourselves and learn about who we are. And so I think curiosity is about saying, whatever the destination is, sort of like in the Abraham story, the place you're going, which you'll be shown, we don't know really what the destination the destination is. We have lots of questions about that. But what if we allow our curiosity to guide us on the journey? And what if we listen to it? And what if we allow it to, to point things out? What if we allow it to, Raise questions and what if we allow it, what if we allow curiosity to shape the journey? Not so much worried about the destination. Because my assumption and my my hunch is that if we attend to our curiosity and we listen to love as we move on this journey, whatever the destination is, wherever that ends up, we're gonna be better people when we get there. And then I want to say this, I think embodying curiosity is also about embracing active boredom over passive boredom. Um, we treat boredom as a problem that needs to be remedied. I'm one of the worst, Like, if, if I, if I sit around the house all day, like at some point I'm like, I got to get out of here. We got to go do something. Cause I, I'm just bored. And I hear that too. Like I, um, I my, my oldest sometimes will talk about yet how bored he is. And I'm like, you, you, what, how, how, how are you bored? How are you bored? You can, you can do this, 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 I mean, you've got all this, we have more entertainment access accessible to us than ever before in human history. And yet sometimes we find ourselves being bored, right? The endless options actually leave us kind of uh, bored and tired. But that's why I think we should embrace active boredom. Passive boredom is excruciating and unproductive. It's just like watching paint dry. Active boredom takes those moments and pairs them with curiosity, which opens up po- many, 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 many possibilities, right? When we pair, like a, not just sitting around, but when we're bored and we're like, ah, I don't, what am I going to do? What am I going to do to occupy myself? And actually we begin listening to our curiosity and we read something or we watch something or we have a comp, Like whatever is born out of that act of boredom, it can actually be transformative. And it can actually take us further on the journey if we're willing to make the most of those Boring moments. I I love these words by the poet Mary Oliver. She says this, Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. I I think that idea of paying attention, like Moses seeing the burning bush, Abraham hearing his own sort of inner restlessness, paying attention and, and being astonished, just living in awe. I mean, think about this. When we go outside at night and you look up and you see billions of stars, and you see the moon, which is being lit up by the sun, is it just, do we get so used to that that we miss it? We miss, like, what a massive universe this is, and how fortunate we are to get to be a part of it. I mean, how many of us see the sunset all the time, and so we've sort of lost the impact of seeing the beauty that happens in the sky in the, in the evening. Pay attention, be astonished. I think those are sacraments. I, I think paying attention is a sacrament because the sacrament is all about sort of when that veil between the 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 holy and the everyday, it's when that becomes very, it's, it's sort of a moment of meeting the divine. And the thing we understand is that, that every bit of life can be sacramental. Every bit of life can have that same sense of holiness and weight to it. Frederick Buechner said, if we weren't blind as bats, we would see that all moments are sacred, holy sacramental moments. I, so I think paying attention and being astonished are moments when every moment's holy. God is all, yeah, absolutely. God's the water, we're the fish. But there are moments when we become attuned to that in new ways and in, in more open ways. And I think that when we are paying attention, we're being astonished. It opens us up. To transformation even more. They open us up to the divine and they open us up to the human and, and to the fact that those two things, the divine and human, aren't separate, right? There isn't a God somewhere else. What is, is here. What is, is now. And it's about paying attention, being astonished, and then sharing it and telling about it. Maybe that's what curiosity is about. Maybe curiosity is about living a life, Right? It's about not going through life on autopilot, but it's actually engaging and living life. Maybe the way we, best way we can engage our curiosity is paying attention. Like Abraham to his restlessness, Moses to the burning bush. Maybe it's being astonished by beauty and the gift of life all around us. And maybe it's taking every single opportunity we have to share that and inspire curiosity in someone else. When I was uh, graduating with my master's degree, I got to teach... Uh, Hebrew Bible um, at the University, Western Kentucky University. The Hebrew Bible is the course when I went into my, my first religion class in college in the fall of 1999. Um, I took this course and that course was the course that helped me learn to pay attention to my questions. It helped make helped me see the curiosity about the sources and curiosity about where the Bible comes from and curiosity about how different people have interpreted it. Like that I could follow that curiosity and it wasn't leading me away from truth or away from Bible or away from God. It was actually opening me up in new ways. And so when I got to teach that course, my hope was that I could do that for somebody else that e- even if it was, a, it's a struggle because kids, students come in and they've had certain experiences and they come from this, but, but I had them for an hour and a half on Tuesday, Thursdays for a semester and my hope was that if I can just teach them to engage their questions around the Bible, if I can just help them see that it's okay to be curious, that could be a game changer. And it was for me. Being able to be curious about the Bible, being able to be curious about faith, being able to be curious about other human beings and what and the faiths they practice, and just realizing that curiosity didn't threaten me, it didn't threaten God, that it didn't threaten my faith. What curiosity did was energize and inspire it. And so my hope, Grace Point, is that we as a community embody, uh, yes, courage, we talked about last week, but embody curiosity and that we let everybody who comes into this space know that this is a safe place for your questions, for your doubts, for your struggles. This is a safe place to say, "I, I have faith, but help my lack of faith.